Thanks for listening to the Highlands Message Podcast. Whether you're new to Highlands and are listening for the first time or you want to hear a past message again, welcome. Our heart at Highlands is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus so you can have a life full of purpose as you grow in your faith and lead others to Jesus. We hope you enjoy and are inspired by the latest message from one of our communicators. Oh, good morning, everybody. I know, right? You're in store today. Hey, we're continuing our series on heroes, looking at pretty regular, normal kind of people in the Bible that God raised up and was able to do significant things through, which gives us all hope, doesn't it? That he can pick someone ordinary and do something pretty extraordinary through them and in their life. Last week, we looked at Gideon, the most ordinary person in the Bible, I think, and what God was able to well, begin doing in his life. And this morning, I want to pick another one that kind of gets hero status quite often uh, when we're talking about him, but it was a, a regular man that God raised up for a specific time to get a, a specific message across, a man named Elijah. Now, the story we're going to talk about here is Elijah is kind of coming back to the people of God, and he's going to make them choose. He's going to make them actually make a choice. The people of God at this time are straddling kind of two different options. Uh, They're at this place where there's half-serving God and half-caring there, but kind of half-serving other ones as well. And uh, and Elijah is is making this point of indecision is still a decision. Is kind of sitting on the fence is still a position you've decided to take. Uh, And so they're, they're stuck between... The Hebrew name for our God is Yahweh, stuck between Yahweh and Baal, or all these different Baals. It's kind of a, 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 they had Baals for everything, Baals for fertility, Baals for rain, Baals for, for business, Baals for everything. They just summed it up as, as Baal for this, this pagan God that their neighboring kind of uh, people uh, worshipped, that they were kind of dabbling with. And even just talking about this, I can feel the tension in the room because you're there going, well, making decisions, Doug, can be tricky, right? Have you ever gone out to to dinner with someone who struggles making decisions? It it looks really tricky. (laughs) You know, like what decisions, what what will I wear today is a hard one. And thankfully, you made a decision. (laughs) Aren't we glad that you didn't stay with indecision today? You know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? There's one kind of moment in my life that I realized that indecision is completely inappropriate and pauses all time. It was the moment I got down on one knee and said, will you marry me to my wife? Now, this is any, any, any women here that may be getting engaged soon, can I let you know, every second is roughly about three years worth of waiting for the man on the knee. So you can make him pay and torment a little bit, and the other one is any word that's not yes sounds like no. So my wife started with, are you serious? And I just went, that's not yes. <laughs> and very quickly followed with yes, but I had an out-of-body experience, walked around thinking about how could I have done this different, what's going on, and then came back in when she said yes. And, oh, relief. How good is that? But <clears throat> in that moment, indecision would have also been a very strong, loud, clear decision, yeah? You with me? Same as you, if you just stayed with indecision of what will I put on this morning, that is a bold decision of going with indecision. And same with this is where the people of God, the Israelites were at at the time, they were kind of, 
not really making a solid choice here, but in doing so, we're making it very loud and clear. Uh, William James, a philosopher of the 19th century, put it this way, when you have to make a choice and don't make it, that is in itself a choice. And this is where not just the people of God in 1 Kings were at, I'd say this is where a lot of people are at with God themselves today, is that we've not rejected God per se, but it doesn't mean we've chosen him fully either. We haven't pushed him away, but we haven't grabbed him with both hands and said we are all in in this, this direction. I doubt that you have rejected God. You unlikely would have been here this morning if that is in your, your case. But being here also doesn't mean that we have gone all in. And I would say that there's been plenty of times in my life and a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I've known and grown up with, and, and even a lot of the church... We haven't rejected him, but it doesn't mean that we have gone all in with him either. That we have a tendency of straddling in two camps and sitting on the fence a little bit, which is still a decision in itself. And so Israel gets to this point from a downhill kind of, well, a spiral downwards for years. The king at this time that we're about to read, is, his name is Ahab, and at one point he was a God-honoring man. He gave his kids God-honoring Hebrew names that literally meant the Lord is God and that, uh, that he, I'll serve him and worship him alone. Uh, but he's chosen to marry the wicked witch of the West uh, named Jezebel, <laughs> a pretty awful woman. In fact, there's a lot of things named after her since that we grab hold of in in today's church culture. But she's not known for great things, but she is fully committed to Baal and Baal worship. And to the point where she's getting as many of the prophets of God murdered, trying to kill them all. Even Elijah believed she'd done it, she'd killed all of them. She hadn't, but she did a pretty good job. She ordered them all to be killed and was enforcing Baal worship to be the state religion at the time and doing a reasonable good job at this. Poor old cowardly Ahab, though, did nothing to prevent it, supported it, funded it, uh, and made sure that she was successful in her endeavor. The man started straddling two camps and standing in, serving two gods. Ultimately, we see that the Israelites started following this kind of philosophy and belief in, and we can kind of dabble in a few different things, that they thought, well, if Baal lets me down, I can always come back to Yahweh. And you know what, if I'm praying Yahweh's not kind of switching on right now, and I don't like his timeline, well, guess what, I've always got Baal to fall back onto. I can just go over here and dabble and do things their way. I could try things God's way, and if I don't like the way that Yahweh or the Lord is kind of asking us to live, you know what, there's a Baal that probably has an alternate view, and I could probably follow through uh, with the way that he's telling me to live, and that this God is telling me to live, and that's okay, and you can have your opinion, because, well, This is God's opinion over here, what I'm calling God at the moment. And so this is what the Israelites started to live like, is, well, we'll fall back on whichever kind of view of the world, view of my life, and whichever one's going to prosper me and make me feel better, that's the one I will serve in that particular moment. What a great way to live. How silly are these people back in the olden days, right? Again, let's not reflect too far onto this. Because this is how we usually think. I've thought this plenty of times reading the Bible, is like those silly old primitive people. Oh, how could they make such silly decisions? How dumb are you? Oh, gosh. And then you really quickly try not to listen to the Holy Spirit talk back to you. But how primitive these people with their different gods. 
And often we think we are so far advanced from them that we've forgotten all these things and yet, honestly, we worship the exact same things that they were worshipping. Power, prosperity, money, sex, family, popularity. These were all the things. These were, these were their, their baals. These were their gods that they worshipped and, and determined what they would do in their life. The difference, I think, between them and now and how silly they were compared to how advanced we are is at least back then they had they'd recognised that these things had a spiritual dimension to them, that they would call them a baal. They would call them God. We just call them, well, that's just something. And we've kind of dismantled and, and torn apart the fact that these idols in our lives and these little gods in our lives actually have an ability to grab our soul and determine and direct our life and not just that, our eternity. At least they knew it. So maybe they're not as primitive as we think. Maybe they're a little bit ahead of us in some of these ways. They knew what they were doing had an ultimatum that lasted for eternity. They were just being reckless with it at the time. So these things for us, and for them, they quickly become idols, don't they? <clears throat> Things that we grab hold of and something that takes ultimate worth that we are willing to sacrifice nearly anything in order to, to grab a hold of it. It becomes God, our primary security, our primary fulfillment. It be, these things become our identity. And this is what he's grabbing hold of, Elijah, and this is what the message is for us today when we read this story, is that these idols are the things that shape who we are, what we do, how we kind of, what, where we get value from, and what we're willing to sacrifice in order to get it. See, I read this a little while ago, that an idol is not usually a bad thing, it's usually a good thing that you've made into a God thing, something that you are subservient to, something that you need to grab hold of for your fulfillment, something you need for your security, your identity, to complete and give you joy. For many of us, it's the example of money. It's no different to them. In fact, their god of, uh, of their main baal was the one of fertility, which was directly linked to their economy. It brought rain, it brought prosperity, it brought family, it brought all these things. And for us, this, our idol of money is often the place that we grab all of our security from. In fact, we are willing to sacrifice nearly anything else in order to get, well, just a little bit more. Then it would be okay. And just a little bit more. We push family aside, we're... Our time, we sacrifice our joy at some, some places, we, at whatever cost to grab a hold of it. We become worried about it all the time. It's the thing that determines how and who we become and, and there's always the promise that if you just get a little bit more, it'll be okay. Just a little bit more. For other people, it's, it's our family, the thing that grabs a hold of us in our identity. We sacrifice everything in order to see it become the way we think it should be. So this is a big one for, for young sing, or for single people, is then I will be happy, then I will be complete. If it looks like this, then it will all be okay. We worry about it, and it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but it becomes a God thing, and we start serving it. Accomplishment, sex, pleasure, status, popularity, all of these things, right? We're not a whole lot, lot different here. I like like the way that one commentator wrote it. it, says, we have as many Baals in our heart as Jezebel tried to put in Israel. There are so many things that we grab a hold of, and again, we're just at the place where we don't, we don't put any spiritual emphasis on this or any connection or conditioning of our soul. We just go, well, this is just life, and we continue on. 
Whereas I think we need to understand that these things are able to grab hold of us. So there's that saying of going, there's nothing wrong with money as long as money doesn't have you. You can have it, just don't let it have you. There's nothing wrong with all these pleasures, just don't let them have you. There's nothing wrong with, with looking for accomplishments and wanting to do the best you can and see all your endeavors be successful, but that is not your identity, that is not your security, that is not, that, that is not who you are, those are just things that we do. Don't allow good things to become your God things. Otherwise, we end up with just as many Baals as, as Jezebel was worshipping and enforcing on the people of Israel as well. And so this is where, setting up all this context, this is where we kind of get to, with Elijah is rolled back into town and demanded a kind of conversation and starts a confrontation with Ahab. This is where we pick up in 1 Kings 18, verse 17. It says, when Ahab saw him, he explained, so it really is you, you troublemaker of Israel. <laughs> I just love that title, you're a troublemaker. But he responds, says, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. In fact, it's you and your family that are the troublemakers. And you understand a little bit why now. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, uh, who are supported by Jezebel. Other translations say that, that sit at Jezebel's table, and I just think that is a big dining table, right? They've got 850 kind of seats, so that is a long stretch of a table. That's, but she's funding this, this whole thing, this king. This is kingdom-funded pagan worship. Again, don't reflect too much into our own world, right? Verse 20 says, So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Now, the, Mount, the, the Carmel Mountains, they're not sure which point exactly this was in, but there's a whole series of mountains uh, for Mount Carmel between the Phoenicians, which is Jezebel's people, right, and Israel. It falls literally between the two lands. And here we find that not only uh, are two people straddling the fence between their God systems, is that Elijah is calling them to the place that is a literal kind of manifestation of that decision that they're making. We're going up to the top of the mountain that straddles between our two lands, and you will have to pick which side of the mountain you are walking down on. We're going to go up there, and, and here is the contest that we're going to do. Here's the confrontation. And at this point, of course, Ahab kind of gives the big thumbs up and okays it because these points, these summits, were considered a home ground for the Phoenicians. This is a sacred place in their Baal worship and they're like, home ground advantage, baby, let's go. Up to, let's pick the high one. We've been there before. That's where our gods come. And the contest that Elijah pitches in a minute, you'll see is they understand that, hey, the gods that we are worshiping are known as the Baal of fertility, the one that brings rain and lightning. We are happy with your rulings to go forward here. So in verse 21, it continues, it says, So Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions, straddling the Mount Carmel? How much longer will you not pick a side? If the Lord is God, we'll follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. See, they're hobbling their faith. I like how that's worded in the NIV, it's worded limping. They're not able to put full weight. You know, when you've got a limp, something sore, you're not putting your full weight on it because you're not fully trusting how it's going. And that's what Elijah is saying to these people, going, you are limping in your faith. 
You are kind of saying, hey, I'm, I'm following Yahweh, but I'm not going to put my whole trust on it. I'm not going to put my whole support on it. I'm going to kind of lean into Baal a little bit, but I'm also just, I'm not, I'm not game to go all the way, all the way in here. I'm hobbling around. I'm limping between two different, different versions here. And the people, when he called them out, they were silent, which is probably reasonable, but not appropriate. Similar to silence to the question, will you marry me? Silence is not okay. Probably reasonable if it comes out of nowhere. But it's not the appropriate answer. In fact, it is a decision in itself, similar to you choosing, well, what do I wear today? Thank you for making a choice. Because indecision is a strong decision, yeah? And their silence is speaking loud and clear in this moment. And as Elijah calls them out, I feel that, for, well, for us, this is what Elijah is saying, the same thing. If God is Lord, let's serve him. But you know what, if money is Lord, if it's the one that brings fulfillment, if it's going to bring eternal salvation, it, come on, if, if your power and your success is the thing that's going to bring miracle, if it's redeemed you and healed your soul, if it's the one that's going to save you, if it sacrifices and, and kind of brings in hope for salvation, well, serve it. But either way, let's not straddle two different gods. All these accomplishments, popularity, sex, if it has eternal saving power, well, well, serve it. Get as much as you can, sacrifice everything that you can, get rid of any distraction in your life and make it God. We often say, and I've said this plenty of times myself, that Jesus, well, Jesus is my Lord, but then I struggle to live as if he is. I struggle to raise kids in a godly kind of manner. And honestly, for me, this is my number one in my family. If I think, that my, my, nearly my only prayer for my kids is that they would grow up knowing that God is Lord, that they would love Him and follow Him and serve Him. Everything else, I think, will come off the back of that. That is number one prayer. And sometimes I raise them, you know, that, that Broncos are Lord. Not this week, we're in mourning, right? But that's what we do, that winning is Lord, that success is Lord. Come on, just don't, don't be a sook, get up. Come on, be tough, that the, your image, that the way you present yourself is Lord. And I, we, I struggle, we raise them this way, but my priority, my heart, is I, go, I want them to grab hold of that Jesus above all things is Lord. And so I say, Jesus, you're Lord, but then I get tight with my giving sometimes. And I battle with this. My wife is the best inflictor for me in this way, going, come on, let's just have some faith, Doug. I'm like, mm, let's have some faith, Doug. But you get, you, get <laughs> you, know, you know the feeling, but we say, oh, Jesus, you're, you are Lord. And then we go away and try to make sure my Baal is still happy, going, I didn't really mean it. Just, it's okay, just don't, uh, don't let him see you there. And I'm not going to give as generous as I feel the Spirit living, uh, leading me towards. And I've struggled with tithing and I've struggled with this area. Jesus, your Lord, but also not if it comes at the cost of my popularity, of my success, of the image that I carry. Jesus, your Lord, but, but not, at the, not at the cost of my other little, little bars over here, aware of the Holy Spirit is leading me as long as it's not as long as I'm comfortable doing it, otherwise I'll seek the opinion of another God, of whatever I think that I, I want to pursue more often. And ultimately, I come back to this kind of statement, and maybe you've thought this in your own words as well, but it's, it's this quote that I think that, that we live by, is if I had more, you can insert your idol, well, then I would include God more. If I just had more money, I'd, I'd be more comfortable being generous. If I just had more kind of success, then I would 
then, once I get there, then I'll be able to do this. If I just had more confidence or more skill, if I just had, you can insert whatever it is for you, then I would, I would just lean on what I'm limping on a little bit harder, right? And that is always the promise of a false god, of our idols. Just a little bit more and things will be okay. Just a little, I don't know if you've ever had a pay rise, but you're pretty eager for another one next year, aren't you? Because just, just a little bit more didn't really fulfill it. Just a little bit more never really saved. Just a little bit more popularity didn't... Just, you know, just 20 likes on Instagram wasn't enough. Now you're like, you've got a taste of the Kardashian lifestyle. I want 40. <laughs> Baby, popularity, here we come. To paraphrase Charles Spurgeon, I like this quote. He says, if you are going to be saved, be saved all the way. Not halfway. Don't just dabble in being saved. That if God's going to redeem you, let him redeem all of you. That if God is our saviour, let him be the saviour of every part of our life. That if God is going to be the one that heals and fulfills, or let him fulfill every need that you have. If he's the one that grants eternal life and there's a hope in him and him alone, well, let him be the hope of every part of our life. If we're gonna be saved, church, we may as well be saved all the way rather than just limping in our salvation. See, Christianity isn't a great hobby, but it is a fantastic, it is the greatest way to live. And I think too many of us have the hobby of being a Christian. But perhaps it is time, like Elijah was calling out his people, for you to feel that maybe the Holy Spirit is, is edging you back saying, hobby time is over, guys. That is time to stop limping if you are limping. It's time to stop hiding your bowels if you've got any kind of pocketed away. It is time to choose. The contest on Mount Carmel is for you today and it, it's determining which side of the mountain we walk down on. If God is Lord, well, let's follow him. Let's continue in that journey. Let's have the hard conversations. Let's, let, let's work through what we need to work through and let go of our other things that promise so much but give so little. Church, this is hard, but honestly, this isn't an attack. My heart today is to reveal the confrontation that they had and the fact that we have this confrontation still today. In fact, as I said, God raised up Elijah. His name literally means the Lord is God. This was his message. And I think that is still the message for us as the people of God today to come through and look at, look at what he's trying to say to us, going, the, God, uh, the Lord is God, that nothing else is. Anyway, we'll continue, right? Verse 22, it says, Then Elijah said to them, I, will, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, which he was wrong, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls, <clears throat> the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut into pieces and lay it on the wood on their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood altar and not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. Uh, the, the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God and all the people agreed. Of course they would. They were like, this is like set up for us to win. Elijah, you have been away for a while. You're giving us our terms on our home ground in our conditions. We love this. He said, then, uh, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it. Call on the name. Don't set fire to it. 
Uh, so they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. When they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. Now, there was no reply of any kind. They danced, and here's this word again, hobbling around the altar that they made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. This is why I think Elijah is part Australian, right? He said, you'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. You can just hear the tone of voice. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. He's seriously saying, perhaps your God's on the toilet. Just give him a minute. He's probably like clogged up a bit. It's so good. Or maybe he is, uh, is away on a trip or is asleep and he needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. See, here's the thing about false gods and idols, right, is they will always require strenuous dancing around to get their attention. They will always require you to perform a little bit more, a little bit better, dance more, and if dancing doesn't work, well, start slashing yourself and show that you really, really care about it. Start slashing your life, sacrifice your family in order to get some things, sacrifice your soul in order to get a little bit more. Come on, dance for me and then you'll get, just trust me, a little bit more dancing and you'll get a little bit more happy. But come on, you have to perform well enough to be happy enough. Anyway, he continues, verse 30, then Elijah called the people, said, come over here. They all crowded around him and as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down, He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars of water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they'd done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran down, uh, ran around the <clears throat> altar and even filled the trench. Now, the reason that Elijah was called troublemaker was because he was the one that called Ahab out a few years ago and said, God's not gonna, it's not going to rain because of what you were doing to this land and these people. And so they had been in severe drought for years. It hadn't rained once. And so here we see Elijah is saying, well, let's throw a lot of water on this sacrifice. This wasn't only making it more difficult for God to burn it all up and accept the sacrifice. And it's not like that needed making any harder. But Elijah here is making a point of saying that the literal most valuable thing in this world and to all of us right now is this water and I'm giving it to God. That not even our physical need, not even the thing that we would all agree on is vital to our existence should be withheld from our God. He's making a point of worship, of I'm giving something of great value in order well, for it to be sacrificed to my God, that I'm willing to give it. See, they all withheld their things from Yahweh and found another option that made it about them. Whereas Elijah was making the point going, hey, everything that I have, I will give to him. And anyway, verse 36 is at the usual time, the offering in uh, the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel 
and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all of this in your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, uh, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all of the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, He is God, which is a paraphrase of the name Elijah. His, his life as a prophetic testimony of what God is going to do is starting to be fulfilled. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all and Elijah took them down to Kishon Valley and punished and killed them there. It's a lot of, a lot of stabbing. Anyway, now I love this story. I could spend weeks on this and pulling it apart forever and I've rambled on it for all the morning already, you can tell. But I just want to give you three points to finish up here that Elijah's life can teach us and challenge us to live that the Lord is God, right? The first one is that our false gods require strenuous efforts. We've already touched on this. Our idols require strenuous efforts, whereas the true God is known by grace through our faith. This is what his life reveals and this moment reveals. See, false gods say, are you dancing well enough? Are you performing well enough? A little bit more, please. Do it a little bit better and then you'll get my attention. Then you'll be worthy. Work harder, do better, obtain more is the catch cry of all of our idols, isn't it? Get a little bit more, do a little bit better. Come on, obtain, obtain something. Sacrifice other things in order to get here. See, Tim Keller writes it this way. How do you know that there are idols in your life? Well, look for the dancing and look for the slashing. What are you willing to slash in your life to get something else? What are you willing to cut out and, and sacrifice in order to get there? What are you willing to push God aside in order to obtain something else? A life that you want to live, a choice that you want to make, the thing you want to obtain. I don't know what it is for you. But look for where there's dancing and performance because our God does not ask for performance. See, every other religion and every secular idol says you are only accepted because of what you've done. Whereas the gospel reverses this. It's no longer you obey, therefore you're accepted. The gospel reverses it to I am accepted, therefore I'm going to obey. That it's not about what I have done that makes me a certain way in God's eyes. It's all because of what He has done that has changed my position. That's the good news is that there was no way I could ever save myself. There's no way I could ever inherit eternal life, that I could ever deserve the love of God, that I could ever restore this relationship. I couldn't dance and slash my way through to anything. And so God stepped in and said, I will do this all for you. It is not your performance, church, that makes you loved by God. It is the performance of Jesus Christ on that cross. It is only Him and His performance, what He has done that makes us accepted. And every false God and every idol in our life will say, you have to perform in order to be accepted, that you have to dance in order to obtain something that you don't deserve. Whereas it's our God who says, I'm gonna give you freely things that you don't deserve because you are my child. I'm going to do the performing for you. How good is our Lord Jesus? Come on, church. The second one that we need to grab hold of is that false gods will always mutilate you. Whereas only one true God mutilated himself for you. We touched on this already that the 
prophets of Baal had to slash themselves to get God's attention. But again, it is our true God who was willing to be slashed in order to get our attention. See, every idol will make your blood run and make you sacrifice your life, whereas only one true God bleeds for you. Every idol promises just a little bit more and then you'll be done, whereas our God said, it's all done. It is finished. I've done it all. And the third thing is that false gods are ultimately powerless. They didn't perform. When push came to shove, all all the dancing and all the slashing, it didn't, didn't change. In fact, just a little bit more never actually obtained anything that was promised to them. They're ultimately powerless, whereas the true God answers with a powerful miracle. And I need you to remember this, church. I love this story. But the greatest miracle that God performed isn't isn't bringing fire from heaven. It's not raising the dead. It is not healing the sick. It is not walking on water. The greatest miracle our God's ever performed is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that came along with that. This This is our Jesus. This is, if He's Lord, this is why we say, well, let's follow Him. It wasn't just a nice party trick that he died and rose again three days later, but the fact that it conquered death in the grave, that it wiped our slate clean, cleansed us from all of our sin. You know, all that stuff we go, how could I be accepted because I've done A, B, C? Well, all of those things is what Jesus came and when he rose from the dead said, we're not holding that against you because of what he did on the cross. You don't need to dance for acceptance in God's eyes anymore. You don't need to perform to get acceptance in God's eyes. You don't need to make sure everything is lined up and you obtain a little bit more in order for your eternal life, for God to bless you, for Him to give you freedom and purpose here in this life. That is freely given by grace through your faith. The greatest miracle that He's performed is is not just blessing us, is not just seeing healings, but it is the eternal promise that He puts on the table for every single, which includes our life today. See, I, th- I love the song, I just because of the message it gives. Of, see if you can finish the sentence, right? What can wash away my sins? There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. No dancing, no performance, no amount of money, no fulfillment in my family, no success, no amount of sex, no amount of pleasure, popularity it's nothing but the blood of Jesus see what can make us whole again there's nothing but the blood of Jesus the greatest miracle all comes at that moment and so church what I really want for you what I want for my family and honestly what I want for my own life is that we might grab a hold of God and and decide I'm going all in with this I'm not going to straddle two camps And this is going to be a journey for every single one of us because we all have as many Baals as Jezebel had. We have these little idols, these things that we gain our security, identity, comfort, all come from different places. But over time, we need to make this commitment saying, I'm no longer being subservient to false gods, to my little idols, to the other things that promise so much and deliver so little. That if the Lord is God, if He's the healer, if He's the redeemer, He's the saviour of my soul, the one that gives me hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Well, if He is Lord, well, let's follow Him. And we know that He is. Come on, the empty tomb is evidence. Our changed lives, the touch and gift of the Holy Spirit is the evidence. 
that there is power and purpose and freedom in Jesus. So church, right now, would we just stand as we respond together? And we're just gonna pray and I don't know where you're at or if anything touched you this morning. But I want us just to respond. How about we just respond in prayer? Maybe you need to to let go of a few things. Maybe you need to identify some stuff and let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what it is in your life. But how about we just pray together? Hey, Father, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. Lord, sorry that we've walked away. And for me, so many times straddling two things and limping, my faith limps and I don't put my full trust on you. I don't respond in in a way to you with, I don't respond well to your love and to your comfort, your grace too often. Lord, help us. All these things that have grabbed our hearts and and changed our lives and, and molded our soul in a certain way, Lord, that we might experience freedom from it, that we might grab hold of life and life abundantly, that we would be free and free indeed from the drive for, for all these other little things. Lord, they're not bad things, but they're definitely not God things. They're not the things that should determine and dictate our life. Lord, help us seek you first and let go of other stuff that we can hold on to you and your promises double, double-handed. That all of these other things that we might be pursuing, it'd be just a fruit from our life, Lord, but a life that is in pursuit of you. Thank you. And maybe you're in this place and you've never made this decision to ask Jesus into your life before. I wanna give you that opportunity this morning to say, God, I wanna know you for myself, that all these other things I might've pursued all the dancing that I've had to do to feel accepted, it's not any good. But you want the freely given acceptance that comes from Jesus. This is your chance this morning to say, God, I wanna know you. I wanna experience this love. I wanna experience your goodness, your blessing in my life. And if that's you this morning, it's between you and God, would you raise your hand in the air and I'm gonna pray for you and lead you through a prayer. Awesome, thank you. Maybe you spent some time away from God and this is, this is the moment you're just coming back. Is that you? Would you just raise your hand? Say, God, I, I want to know you again. Awesome. <clears throat> That's great. So good, church. If you're a believer in this place, would you pray for these people with me as well? They're in the family of God. They're not in this by themselves. And for you who made that decision, I'm just going to pray a prayer. You can pray it with me now or in your own words later because it's not the right combination of words that does anything. It is that confession, our faith that we are saved by through the grace of Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you're revealing yourself to your kids this morning. Lord, that they're coming back to you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross and rising again. Lord, that you defeated our sin, our death. You conquered that separation we have from you. Lord, that we can now have that close relationship. Holy Spirit, I pray that you breathe in these people's lives, that you bring new, new breath back in their lungs. Lord, that reveals life and life abundantly, that they experience your freedom and your purpose. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Highlands Message Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose and to make a difference. If you feel moved by today's message and want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can reach us at highlands.au on Facebook or Instagram or head to the highlandschurch.org.au website for more resources and information. Be sure to follow the Highlands Message Podcast on your preferred platform to stay up to date with our latest message. We hope to see you in person soon.